back here on the Six Rings and Football Things podcast and returning to our fall roots of doing a beat writer interview from Gillette Stadium. No, it's not the season, but it is the offseason. There's player availability. We're back in the new media workroom at Gillette Stadium. And joining us today is Andrew Callahan from the Boston Herald. Andrew, welcome. And right out the gates, I'm just going to say it. How'd you like the draft? I like the draft. I thought it was solid. I thought it was relatively normal. I was higher on the draft, and I think consensus, give it the hard B, maybe even closer to B plus and B minus. So all things considered, and maybe this was just the, you know, you touched the stove once last year with Tyquan Thornton and Cole Strange, and you pull back and you're not going back there again. Uh, I think they handled their business well. So one of the, uh, of course, WEEI is a talk radio station, so we uh, slum it in talk radio topics from time to time, including Fitzy and I here on the Six Rings podcast. This idea that because you trade down and get a player that you somehow value said player less, do you buy into that? Because I am a, I am one who coming into the draft, I thought Christian Gonzalez was the perfect pick. I would have traded up probably into the top eight to get him. They, I may have been upset at the time, but they traded down, added an asset, and still got, in my opinion, the best player at the position where they had the biggest need. Do you believe they valued Christian Gonzalez appropriately? Uh, I think so, and I will say two things. One, if you're looking to complain about the Christian Gonzalez pick for everything that we knew about him pre-draft, everything we know about the Patriots' needs and how those align, you were just looking to be upset at the pick. This is a consensus top 10 player. This was a guy who was arguably number one in his position. And the second thing I would say is this, and we may or may not believe the Patriots on this, but we asked Matt Groh about that trade back from 14 um, the Jets were behind them at 15 and then Washington. He said, we had a good sense Christian was going to last until 17 because Pittsburgh was coming up for a tackle. The Jets weren't going to take a corner. And they had good intel that the commanders liked Emmanuel Forbes over Christian Gonzalez. So at that point, they say, yeah, there's a little risk if a team trades up into one of those slots, 15 or 16. But we'll probably get our guy and add a fourth-round pick, which for them was useful considering the run they had in offensive alignment. So I think I've gone a little soft because there's a couple issues that I kind of am buying, I guess, the – Belichick spin or the team-based spin and the first that I buy was this question of well you didn't go any offense early in the draft you went defense 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 first round second round third round for whatever reason you don't want to help Mac or you want to help your son and he's the defensive coordinator the defense wasn't the problem and Bill sort of matter-of-factly I believe on day two of the draft said well in free agency we basically went out and got a tackle a tight end a running back a wide receiver uh and I agree with him. I bought it hook, line, and sinker. Did you make anything of the defense-heavy early drafting? I think he was being mostly honest when he said, basically, that's how the draft board fell. Now, the one quibble I would have is in that second round where they're at 46. You had tight ends I thought would fit here really well, one of which Vegas went up uh, to, I think it was 37 or 30, maybe even higher. Uh, yeah, they were at 38. So this was like 33 or 34 to get Michael Mayer, who you know if Vegas is high in them, Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels, he's a fit in New England where they're going back to that style. Then Luke Musgrave goes 42 to Green Bay. Those are guys who fit your typical wide tight end, can play in line and split out. And the Patriots are very familiar with trading up in the second round, had done it for five straight years. So that's a move they could have made. I, I mapped out all these different trades where they could spend a fourth rounder or two and get up into exactly those ranges for Mayer or Musgrave. Now, as far as the defense falling where it was, you know, Mike Reese, I know, reported that they were looking or made calls to trade out of the third round, go with Marte Mapu, and that was their pick. So, yeah, I didn't see it um, as, as really, you know, offense versus defense. I think it was their board. The other part about the mock conversation really quickly is I think people who are asking, do they do enough to help Mac? are making the case that Mac needs more help. Like, if you're high on Mac, I think you're fine because you think he's really good. He can overcome this. If you don't think he's very good, you're saying they needed to do more. And something that obviously plays into the equation is Bill O'Brien. 
you went from your words, Boston Herald, you and Karen Garigian, who's moved on. Congrats to Karen. Uh, great career, great woman. Um, but you guys wrote the story on the dysfunction. If you just become functional, competent, normal, let's not even say, you know, Bill O'Brien is the greatest of all time. He just kind of lets everybody take a breath and feel pretty confident going to the field. That's a major advancement for Mac and everybody involved in that offense. But I did want to jump across. You you, you mentioned Marte Mar- Mapu, who is an interesting athlete. I'm not going to pretend I know a ton about him. We've all seen the highlights. You read about him, defensive player of the year in his conference, and some. I mean, the, the highlight the Patriots put out on social media where he's just blowing somebody up. And I know you talked to Jim Nagy, senior bowl director, former Patriots scout, and he emphasized that hitting, actually, talking about how he hits maybe heavier than his weight would, would lead you to believe. And he kind of talked about where he thinks he'll be positioned for the Patriots. Where do you see Mapu when he gets healthy, coming off a of pack, but when he gets healthy, what do you think he could mean for this defense? So Mapu I see as a box safety, and I know the, the easy comparison is to go Kyle Duggar, right, because he's around 6'2", 6'3". Mapu's a little bit taller. Um, Nagy says he's a little bit more explosive on contact, which I didn't know. I learned every year, Andy, like a new scouting term that they're inventing or saying along the way. I trust Jim's evaluation, though, because he fits from a body type standpoint. He's very instinctive in coverage. You know, again, he's athletic, and he hits with an outsized kind of violence. Again, you're 220, but you're hitting like you're Juwan Bentley at 250. Now, it's not so much how hard do you hit, but how hard, you know, how long can your body hold up against hits coming your way from offensive linemen who are literally 100 pounds heavier than you. So I think he'll he'll have a role. You don't draft a guy in the third round without a definitive idea as much as Bill tried to tell that exactly to me on the press conference call after they selected him. But he could be a dime linebacker early on. I just wonder if he might be a player, and we see this from time to time, does all these different things. But where does he win? Like, is he better in theory than reality? We won't find out until they put the pads on, really, in August. Uh, but for now, I'm excited because I knew – I heard from someone at the Combine, Bill loved him. I checked in on that after they took him, which obviously should be confirmation enough. But someone from the team got back to me and said, yes, Bill loves this guy. So they're going to give him every chance they can to let him play. And I feel like he's the type of player, whether it's Duggar or Adrian Phillips, Jabril Peppers, talking about a guy who probably hits a little heavier than his weight um, – and what that brought to the defense. But I feel like this goes back almost decades where Bill, whether you, whether you call it the big nickel with anybody from, um, uh, I'm drawing a blank on some of the names, Tank Williams, for example, they brought in. And there's been these various guys, or even to some degree, the Cam McGrones of the world, where it's like, are they going to get lighter and more athletic at linebacker? And I know we've had these conversations with Gerard Mayo in recent years because Mayo, Bentley, hell, Mike Vrabel, like they've just been a big linebacker team for basically two decades. So you don't necessarily think this is a, the guy I fell in love with in the Super Bowl against the Falcons, Deion Jones, like smaller, faster, run around linebackers you don't necessarily see Mapu as a a every down linebacker or a early down linebacker so Nagy does but the way the Patriots use their linebackers to really plug those a gaps against the run a Bentley a Jelani Tavai like I don't think he can hold up doing that again if it's more specialized if he's playing like you know the overhang defender so you're kind of in that hybrid nickel spot where again you see Kyle Duggar who's sometimes in the box and doing those things but it's not consistent down after down so with the Patriots look they ran it back at linebacker re-signed everyone including Mac Wilson who's only 230 but he's 6'1 so it's a little more compact and dense body type Mapu I think is someone that will fit in where Phillips does Peppers does Duggar does where you see them spinning back on occasion as a single high safety or he's playing kind of uh, some cloud coverage so I, again it's not it's more safety to me in terms of the responsibilities whatever your label is you could probably get away with linebacker or safety but I think that's the role that they've carved out for years John Lynch another one before he yep. retired yep. Patriots great John Lynch yes uh, I think that that's 
what's more important is the assignments and those assignments will be more the box safety stuff. So the other um, thing that I have found really interesting in reactions to the draft is this angst about day three picks used on specialists, special teamers. And first of all, I, f- I feel like if you get really worked up about day three picks, you might want to get a girlfriend, get a hobby and do something to lighten the load in your life. The stress is getting to you. But I also look at it from the, I keep saying it like this. We've bitched about special teams for two years. They don't have a punter. Well, Corliss Waitman, sorry, don't mean to be disrespectful, but I'm not presuming you're just the guy. And Nick Folk isn't getting any younger. It looked like he got a little worn down last year when he had to take a bigger load. So they needed a punter and a kicker. They had 12 picks. They got the second best kicker, theoretically, the best punter, and they drafted some guys that look like they are you know, special team 101. Oh, you're 6'2", you're 210, and you run a 4'3". Yes, I can find a spot from you in a coverage unit. What was your reaction to sort of the emphasis on day three in, in the kicking game? And do you think it is an overall emphasis on, wow, we've been really bad on special teams. We need to clean this crap up. I think the emphasis is totally warranted. Like this was the worst special teams in the league last year. You allow half of the kick return touchdowns in the NFL in a given season. You're screwing up royally. And that's not only just the coverage units where we could go back to the Buffalo game and parse through was this Miles Bryant's missed tackle or Pierre Strong, you know, lost containment. Like they didn't have anyone on the roster who could just put the ball from the tee through the back of the end zone for a touchback. Okay. And that went down when you lost Jake Bailey. So they replaced Jake Bailey with Bryce Berenger, who was bombing 70 yarders at the senior bowl out of michigan state supposedly the talk of the senior bowl not just from jim Nagy. danny kelly told me that from the ringer of my podcast this week and as far as chad ryland if he went the fifth round like i don't think people to use your word are bitching that much because that feels like more kicker territory it's not the highest draft the specialist belichick's ever taken which is exactly what ryland is you needed to address this though because folk hit the crossbar from I think it was 46 or 48, late in the season in December. Those are the kicks that are going to make the difference between the Patriots making the playoffs in 2023 or missing it. You needed to address those. If you want to, you know, again, complain about a mere speed in the sixth round, a guy who couldn't really see the field until he was a six-year senior at Michigan State, transferred from Georgia, I don't think he's going to play corner here. So another core special teamer, sure. But these are six-round picks. Like, you throw them at the wall and see what sticks in training camp. As far as Ryland and Behringer go, no, you needed to address these, and they did. And if you're going to throw something against the wall, and I think Matt Gross certainly seems to believe in this, go with a 4-3 guy. Yes, like, yes. if you want fast players, you got to draft fast players, says Matt Gross. guy whose name is literally Speed. Yeah. Right. So, um, you just brought it up. You said if they're going to make the playoffs. So, that's where I wanted to go. Just sort of, we're kind of in the late stages of roster building. For the most part, these are your 90-man roster. Like, this is what you're going to start to work with, build around. Bill O'Brien, what is your... Um, and I, I guess I'll share with you mine, and then you can lead into yours. So I think they are a more competitive roster. I think they're a more competitive team. I think they are going to be a better football team next year, and I think they could finish fourth in the AFC East. Like I think all of that can be true. Just because you're better doesn't mean you move up the standings or make the playoffs. How do you feel about what this team has done to fix what were problems from a year ago, maybe accentuate strengths, whatever? Where do you feel like they are in – it's still early. I know, Bill, we're not going to play a game till September. But how do you feel about what they've done with this team? So the framework I've started to use when you look ahead for uh, prognosticating is the over-under totals from Vegas. Because if you're looking at strength of schedule, you need to see what your opponents are currently projected for. The Patriots, for what it's worth, are 7.5. Mm-hmm. I feel much better saying the over on 7.5. Not that I'm putting any money on that. I'm not. Nothing NFL-related. I wouldn't. FanDuel sponsors my podcast. I don't bet football. But... 
do they make the playoffs or not? I mean, then you get into the conversation of injuries, and it sounds like a cop-out, but you look at Miami, it's a very top-heavy roster. Like, they're getting Jalen Ramsey, not the twilight of his career, but certainly the back nine, made that big deal for Bradley Chubb, not a huge impact guy. You need all of them to come through and come through big. If Tua has another concussion, God forbid, that sends their season you know, into the tank, I think, because they were a team that were just like the Patriots at the end of last year and wouldn't have made the playoffs had the Patriots not lost. The bottom line, though, I think is the, the truest story will be They'll bring an appreciably better football team. They'll plugged a lot of holes, right tackle, special teams, um, you know, some coverage linebacker stuff, which they did in the offseason. But you won't necessarily see it in the record. They could be eight and nine again. I think they'll be nine and eight, one of the two. It just won't be reflected. This won't see a big three, four win jump like you did 2020 to 2021. It's just because of the schedule, which is the hardest in the league by those over under win totals. There's only so much you can overcome. But the story of the playoffs, I think, comes down to things outside of their control. It could be offensive line issues with the Jets, to his health. Maybe the Bills fall apart. Who knows? Uh, but they've got enough. They've got more. This could be their most competitive roster, I think, since 2019. So I have this very unscientific theory that you can sort of look at a team and base some of what they're doing based around um, how excited fans are to buy a jersey, whose jerseys they're buying. And this is a team like last year, I think that was an area where it's like, huh. I already bought a Mac. I don't feel great about the Mac. Maybe I get a Judon. In terms of new players, Christian Gonzalez, Keon White, or Mike Gesicki, James Robb, like, who do you think some of the impact newcomers are going to be, and are any of them worthy of future jersey purchases? So it's funny because this brings me back to a year ago, right? Just after the draft, everyone's going, what the hell was that? But then the guy at the top, Cole Strange, wears 69. So yep. those 69 Strange jerseys, or yep. Strange 69, were flying off the shelves. But after him, you know, I, I think you'd like to lean Juju Smith-Schuster. I just have trouble for the Patriots where I think it was, you know, uh, six with Jacoby Myers and half dozen with Juju. He's a little bit better after the catch. But you're buying high. And his best seasons have come when he's across from an all-pro. It's not a knock on him that he played with Antonio Brown and then Travis Kelsey last year in Kansas City you just don't know where you're going to get when he's the quote-unquote number one guy so I think they'll have a better system to set them up as far as impact guys go Christian Gonzalez at the top of my list I don't know if he starts week one they might feel comfortable with Jonathan Jones and Jack Jones but he'll be there at some point in the season uh, I'm lower on Gesicki but it's it's going to be interesting I think the competition which is the coach's cliche is going to bring the best out of everyone they've taken the approach of pass catcher where it's like someone will you know, stand out because Gasicki plays in the slot. Juju Smith-Schuster plays in the slot. Demario Douglas, who they took in the sixth round. Keishon Booty maybe plays. I don't know, but they're, they're going to have to prove it. And I think that depth is something you look last year, certainly the year before, you didn't have that position group. So it's hard to say if I were putting my money down. Um, I'd say a big bounce back year for Hunter Henry. And then, yeah, let's just go with Juju. And uh, a name I always like to throw out there because I'm higher than on him than most people are James Robinson I think he's going to be a sneaky contributor I think if people go back and look at what he did in Jacksonville that he could be a Ramondre light where he could be that sort of dual threat catch the ball a little bit run the ball a little bit I do think Christian Gonzalez will be popular because if he gets jersey zero I know Jack Jones maybe he Christian Gonzalez whichever zero I think will be popular just because of the first year um, of the zeros but do you feel good about just the just where the team is going. So you just said more competitive. I agree with you. I think they're a more competitive team, more competitive roster. We also seem to kind of both agree that that may not lead to wins. Like you are what your record says you are, so you may still end up being an 8-9 or a 9-8 and eight football team. But longer term, like is this trending in the right direction? And that obviously gets into Bill Belichick chasing a record for wins, but also chasing – the end of his own career they're like he closer to the end than he is in the, to the beginning as Tom Brady would say like do you feel there is a positive 
momentum or development with this franchise as a whole. Definitely, because I think it'd be hard to go further in reverse. You know, they're, they're not going zero to 60. They're going from negative 60 going backwards right. to zero and neutral and now kind of moving forward. And you look at free agency, like I think they didn't do enough at offensive tackle for the present or the future. Riley Reef was discarded by the Bears and the Bengals, who in each of the last two seasons had one of the worst offensive lines in football. They said thanks, but no thanks. So he's here. He got one year, $5 million. Calvin Anderson, okay, back from the Broncos. You know, not great shakes at the offensive line. Let him go for a two-year deal. So they're taking, again, a similar approach of these middle-class veterans who will give you better value in these contracts because someone will break out, and that'll be a big win. The blue chip talent, though, is still a big issue. And I've asked other people you know, who work for teams around the league about what do you make of this roster. Yeah, it's better, but who are we scared of if I'm an offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator the night before a game? And you just don't have that. Devin McCourty said it on Quick Slants, I think, yesterday, two days ago. So that's something they still need to overcome. The progress is being made. It's just how fast is it? Because the clock that's ticking, if you believe in Mack, and I think we're going to get the best out of Mac Jones this season, is his rookie contract. And it's a point that's been beaten into the ground, but it holds true. The next two years are really the window here, unless they want to trade out a quarterback. But then the question is, what are your other options? Because no one's really given away a top 15 quarterback for pennies on the dollar. And that's what you're looking at if you want to make it an appreciable upgrade. There's progress here. They're in the right direction. I just think it's going to be slower ultimately than people want. Unless, of course, things break their way. Because last year, there was no breaking free from the chains of Matt Patricia and Joe Judge running your offense. He is Andrew Callahan of not only the Boston Herald and the definitive breakdown with Karen Garigian of the dysfunction of the 2022 Patriots, but also the Pat's Interference podcast. So not only should you be a listener to Six Rings and Football Things, but you should be a subscriber and listener to Pat's Interference. I know you've heard Fitzy there. I think you may hear some other people that are familiar there. Next week. Yeah. I look forward to making my Pat's Interference debut. For Andrew Callahan, Andy Hart, Six Rings and Football Things, out.